welcome to episode nine of the Lisa Fisher Said podcast. I'm Lisa Fisher, a longtime broadcaster and journalist in Arkansas who's been in front of a microphone or a camera since the mid-1980s. I think of myself as the go-to for all things Little Rock and Arkansas, but I also like learning about other people and what they have to offer. That's why I started a podcast. My guest for this episode is Jenny Bradley, a cancer survivor and a fighter. Disclaimer, this program does not provide medical advice, so speak to your healthcare provider about the best treatment for you. Disclaimer done. You'll get to meet Jenny right after this. Guys, I am super pumped to introduce you to one of my favorite stores on the planet. It's right here in Little Rock, Arkansas, and I've been talking about it for years. I was on the radio for so many years, talked about it then. You ready? Drum roll, please. It's Bell and Blush. Bell and Blush is kind of a playground for girls with all things makeup, all things skincare, all things bath and body, all things hair care, all things accessories and apparel. Oh, they've got the California Dream in. I just got the robe. I got a friend of mine, an outfit. My daughter wants some of that for Christmas. The home and gifts, they've got the brand new candles in. They've got clean beauty lines. I've been kind of experimenting with some of the clean beauty lines. You'll just have to go to their website. You will find something. You will find one of everything. And when you check out, use code Lisa, L-I-S-A, and you'll get 10% off your order. They'll ship anywhere you're listening to right now. They will ship today. You will love the customer service, especially if you're in Arkansas and you've been there. The cosmetic lines, oh, too much to even talk about. I'm out of time. If you're losing it, thinking I don't remember what you're talking about, go to my website for more information, lisafishersaid.com. She won most talkative in high school, and she has been running her mouth ever since. Welcome to the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast with your host, Lisa Fisher. Okay, this is an exciting episode for me because my guest today is someone I've known for many, many years, but she moved far, far away. Like you're in North Dakota now, right, Jenny? Or slightly less than that and in Kansas. Okay, in Kansas. Well, that's around the corner. Jenny Bradley uh, was a Little Rock resident for many years, worked at the church that I attend. We had lunch together. She's just one of those entertaining people. So when someone entertaining and energetic, then I, so you're a friend for life. Thank you. But then when I find out a few years ago that you'd been diagnosed with cancer and I knew I liked you Jenny Lane Bradley, because <laughs> you did things in a non-traditional way. So let's just go back in time. Uh, this is 2020 when we're recording this, but it was uh, three years ago you got diagnosed, right? Yes, I got diagnosed right before Christmas, like literally the week leading into Christmas in 2017. Ah. Yes. So I had been uh, following a bump on my chest and going to my regular yearly exams. And that particular doctor kept saying, I'm not worried about this being cancer. Like literally, quote, I'm not worried about this being cancer. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, all of the things that you hear about young cancer survivors dealing with as far as doctors thinking like, oh, you're too young for this, or it just doesn't look what I think it would look like. Because your do. first number is a three, right? You're in your thirties. Yeah. Well, if, I ish. just turned, just turned 40. But you were 30, you were in your thirties when yes. you, when you were talking. Okay. And I also look younger than I am. Yes, so, you do. Yes, There you, do. you go. Uh, yes. So 
for two years, I had a doctor saying, oh, like, gasp, palpating two- it and checking and saying, I don't think this is cancer. And then in that second year, I mean, she would always say, if it changes, looks different to you, feels different to you, call me, which it didn't. Uh, but on that second year, she said, you know, I'm going to send you to a specialist because they cut these out all the time and you'll have a better cosmetic outcome. But I, I'm pretty sure it's just fatty tissue. So then we went to the specialist and my husband went with me just in the sense of like, what is our scheduling need going to be? How long is this going to take? All the reasons you would bring someone with you if you're going to have something cut out of you. <laughs> right. And the specialist took one look at me like not even touching it yet, not even like ultrasounding yet, took one look and said, I don't like this. I don't like this. I don't like this. I'm pretty sure this is cancer. We need really? to get an ultrasound. Yes. What, and what tip that person off? So in my case, mine is very superficial. So there was a bump protruding out of me and it was, the skin was getting red. So I think Mainly the redness would have been a big indicator with the size. And then once she actually touched it, she immediately said, this is not fatty tissue. So. Because I thought in all the stories we hear about a cancer, a a lump or something Mm -hmm. you see, if it's red and inflamed, it's probably not cancer. Well, apparently that is not always Uh true. Uh And a lot of people, I mean, now this is not my case, but a lot of people with breast tumors and even other kinds of tumors, as they get closer and closer to the surface of the skin, they can actually break through the skin. And that is also can be called a fungating tumor and it can have all kinds of problems associated with it. Mine never broke through. Mine was never oozing or (laughs) it wasn't ever disgusting. Can I just say it like that? You can say it just like that. (laughs) So... It was more of like, here's a bump. And by the way, my skin's kind of starting to turn pink around it. Okay. Well, let's go over the, any risk factors, a mother, sister, and no, no direct line. Okay. Um, my grandma in the 1990s, when I was young, 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 um, she did have some sort of breast cancer. And honestly, I'm not sure that she would have had the same pathology information that we have nowadays. That's so true. I don't think that I would even be able to know if she was still alive today, which she did not pass away from cancer. She passed away of old age, typical complications. Um, but it, no one in my family knows what kind of breast cancer she had. Uh, and then we were offered to do genetic counseling and genetic counseling is just when you go to a doctor's office that specializes a little bit more in what these different genes mean. And you can have blood work done and they run multiple panels on all different kinds of genes. And we literally did a one hour long meeting for them to tell us what that process would be like. And like they gave us charts and things and said, now, if you get an X on this part of the spreadsheet, when it comes back, uh, we would recommend you have your ovaries out. And if you get an X on this part, we would recommend this type of procedure. And it was a lot of like, well, we don't know really what this gene does, but you would have a higher chance if we don't do things epigenetically, which for everyone to know, epi- epigenetics just means above genetics. So like 
what can you do with your lifestyle? What can you do with what you're feeding yourself? All those types of things to help induce your genetic triggers on or off. So your genes are not your destiny. So in a lot of ways, it doesn't even really matter that my grandma had cancer because she lived a different, literally right. in a different time and with True. different lifestyle and she drank a lot of alcohol. I don't drink alcohol, you know, the various things. Now, I will say, talking about risk factors, I completely, anyone that knew me from my Little Rock days, <laughs> I completely ate the standard American diet. I l -l -l loved sugar for sure. Um, so I think my issues are that I lived in a toxic soup and I enjoyed eating the toxic soup. And well, it's delicious. Yes. And I was on hormonal birth control pill for 10 years yeah. and I'm not blaming anyone and I'm not blaming any doctors. So please don't hear that. But none of the doctors, I, so I'm thinking that I had three doctors over that 10 year period of time that were the prescribers, like the technical names on my prescription. Um, and none of them ever talked to me about an inherited higher risk of breast cancer just because of using the hormonal birth control pill. And then would that have given you pause in your young age? Because when you're in your twenties, you're invincible. I think in, in the long run, being able to at least have those conversations and investigating it more, that would have at least helped me have more informed consent with what All I right. was putting in my body. Um, I will say, of course, I didn't know as much as I know now, uh, you know, more than 15 years ago ish. Is that, is my math right? I don't know. Anywho, in my twenties, uh, is when I started birth control pill and I started right, you know, like within the year that I was getting married at the time. And I would even say like the things that we are able to find on online these days, there's just so much more information at our fingertips than what I would have even been able to, on a surface level, find back then. Well, let's go back to uh, the growth. The Yes. The, so that doctor, which is unusual, usually they don't like speaking till they've been to pathology. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you're, that doctor really kind of went out on a limb for you. Some doctors may criticize that because- yes. It, many, many cancer doctors just throw away the key. They zip it up, throw away the key until they see an actual lab report is in their mm -hmm. hands. So at that point, so you do have the pathology done. Did you have a lumpectomy or a biopsy? No. no. Uh, so in that moment where that specialist was saying, I'm pretty sure this is cancer. And then she did an ultrasound like literally pulled in the cart and did it right there in that moment and said, yes, I'm sorry, this is not fatty tissue. I'm pretty sure this is cancer. We need to do a biopsy. And because <laughs> I'm giggling at myself, okay, because it was the end of the calendar year. And in my mind, I am like, oh man, I have these deductibles sure. for insurance. And so I said to her, um, is it something that we have to do today or could I do it in January when my deductible rolls over? Cause I haven't mm -hmm. met my deductible at all. And she said, how long have you had your lump? And we talked about that. Okay. So it's been years, so it's not fast growing. Right. Uh, so she said in your situation, yes, I think that would be fine to wait. And then she was like, but I'm going on vacation and it's the only time throughout the whole year that I go on vacation. So I'm not going to be back for a couple of weeks. And 
I don't want to slow this down, like the process down. At that point, it could be a month before we got something started with you. So my husband and I like talked in the moment, like looking at me sitting on the exam table, him sitting in a chair. And we just decided, okay, let's just do it right now. So we walked across the hall and I laid down and I got a biopsy in that moment. Now, I have never been pregnant, which is also another risk factor, the older you get, by the way. Uh, I have never been pregnant. I have never nursed a child. And uh, so I don't know what giving birth is like. But let me tell you that that biopsy, the remnant and result pain was the worst pain I've ever had in my life. Well, let's Uh, go over uh, specifics and logistics of a body. Childbirth happens in a totally different end. True. You know, and your breast tissue and times of tenderness and using a needle to get fluid out of it would hurt a moose. Well, not even just fluid. It's they take full on tissue. Like I had a hole in my body. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, And I'm not like squeamish about body stuff. And I mean, I get like last week or two weeks ago, I had 11 vials of blood drawn for a blood draw. So that stuff in, (laughs) in general doesn't like freak me out. But I will say having a hole in your body where it's not supposed to be, I did uh, almost pass out the next day when I looked at it. <laughs> so did they give you any, they gave you local anesthesia for the site? Yes, but I felt everything. Yeah. Yeah. So they did not wait long enough for that to take hold basically. Uh, and again, like to no fault of that particular specialist, I I mean, I didn't know what I was supposed to be experiencing. So I didn't say, oh, I think I still am feeling something. Right. (laughs) You know, can we wait? Uh, But now I would know that. So to anyone who was listening, I would say, this is another example in my own life of where I learned I have to be my own advocate. And if I'm feeling something, I need to say something. Right. So just to remind folks, a biopsy is a tissue sample. It goes to pathology. That might take 48 hours. It depends where you are on the planet. Um, and then you still have the growth on your breast. Yes. So I was called with my diagnosis. Well, a general diagnosis that it was a carcinoma, a breast cancer carcinoma, and that they would need to send it on to a different place for further testing, like the same sample that they took. They would send it out to find the more robust pathology because within different organ and body part cancers, there are all kinds of subtypes of cancers. So there could be a person that's sitting next to me that has breast cancer, but we could have completely different kinds of breast cancer. So I think another thing for more people to understand is there are over a hundred different types of cancer. So every single person's case is different than the person next to them, even if they have the same like generalized body part type of cancer, it's still going to be different. What are the common names? There's an in situ, like Mm -hmm. I've I've heard these terms of different and that may be where it is. I'm not really sure, but yeah. So there's all those types depending on, did it start in a duct Okay. Did it start in the tissue between ducts and things? Did it, you know, it just, it, the naming and the pathology of it, some of it depends on where it's literally located. Then of course you have, is it hormone driven or not? And even within the hormones, it's, does it have a positivity to estrogen receptors or does it have a negative or positive receptivity to progesterone receptors? So all hormones, uh, you're looking at all hormone receptors. 
Yes, for the particular how the cancer is fueled type of thing. Uh, well, were you, Jenny, at, was she a breast cancer oncologist at that point or oncological she not, surgeon? She was not technically an oncologist. She is a generalized surgeon that specials, specializes in breast. Okay. Some of those here, we have breast Onco- oncological yes. surgeons. Okay. Yes. So she, I she, will fast forward for a second, then we can yeah. come back. So a procedure I had done 20 months into my journey is called cryoablation, which we can talk about further. But that doctor is a oncological surgeon. surgeon. Right. Right. <laughs> and he specializes in breast. Okay. Yeah. That's what, but she knows the lay of the land pretty well. Yes. I mean, if that's yes. what she's doing. So um, when she did the biopsy, did she kind of go tisk tisk or? No, did- not at all. Okay. She, I had repeated my story to her of like, I'm, I think I even literally said, I mean, are you sure? Like not in a freaking out way, but like, well, but my other doctor for the past two yeah. years has yeah. said it's this. And she was, I will say, uh, this surgeon specialist was never condescending to me, which I really appreciate. Good. Uh, and we had a good rapport with each other, even as like a first timer. So no, she never scolded me per se in my face-to-face interactions with her, which I had two face-to-face interactions with her literally up until this point when I'm talking to you in 2020. Um, so she, she had her physician's assistant call and give me the generalized report and then once we would get back the full, more robust report, we would do a meeting with her. And then she would kind of give us like, here are what the next steps needs to be. So that was in January of 2018. And in that, she like literally drew out a, like, if you think about when you are in English class <laughs> yes. in high school and you learn yes. about cluster brainstorming and huh? she basically drew a cluster map of Here's all the different ways that people get treated for cancer in the standard of care world. And in your case, with your pathology, she would either X out or star things. And then she would like write out to the side, which would mean this type of medication, or that would mean this type of procedure. And so I had an idea from her giving me that information of what an oncologist was going to tell me. So she is not an oncologist, so she wasn't going to be the one that, you know, officially prescribed the things for me, but she would refer me on to an oncologist. So in between the appointment with her and the appointment with the oncologist, I was able to do a lot of research. Also, honestly, as soon as I came home that night from the biopsy, I started looking things up. So I yeah, had, you did. Yes, I did. <laughs> right. And I'm an Enneagram five. So for people that know, I am an investigator. Yeah, investigator, right. I really love researching and I like finding things out and I love reading. And so for about, I mean, at least three weeks, maybe almost four weeks before I had my oncology appointment, I was reading everything I could get my hands on. I ordered books. I read them. I looked at documentaries. I watched testimonies online all kinds of things that gave me more information on what I was probably going to deal with, with the oncologist, et cetera. So then with the oncologist, uh, he said a lot of the same things that that specialist told me. So I was very prepared for having those conversations, which was obviously very helpful. And I knew that there was a medication that they were going to 
suggest that I was not comfortable with the side effects. I looked up academic studies on that drug. I used uh, social media hashtags to find personal anecdotes of like, okay, what are the people that are actually on this medication dealing with? And I'm not giving any sort of medical advice here by any means. Um, but you know, I think that there is power in people's testimonies. And so I had gathered enough information that I did not feel comfortable in that moment of saying like, yes, for sure, this is the medication I'm going to put in my body at this point. Uh, I also knew before I even had that oncology appointment that there were all kinds of additional alternative and complementary treatments that would help heal my body overall. And so there is a world-renowned clinic that happens, praise the Lord, to be 10 minutes away from my house. Are you serious? And, yes. And what's it called? It is called Reardon Clinic, R-I-O-R-D-A-N, Reardon okay. Clinic. And they specialize in high-dose vitamin C therapy, and right. they have a research center as a part of their clinic. And so for about 40 years, they've been doing research on high-dose vitamin C. Okay, so wait, I need to stop you right here. You're starting then to get deep into alternative modalities. Yes. You're, I know you, when you go to see a traditional allopathic, so things are either allopathic, science-based, that's Western medicine, yes. or homeopathic, meaning let's see what grandma has in the cabinet. <laughs> yes, or you know, naturopathic. You know, that's, our natu that's right. Yes. And, I'm, and we're saying, you know, a lot of people use a combination of all the things. Yes. But I, I remember a friend going to see a physician in Little Rock when she said, he said, well, you've got breast cancer. And she said, well, I'm going to do coffee enemas. And something else. And he said, it was nice knowing you. She lived another 35 <laughs> years and she died of dementia. Yes. You know, so I, I just, I'm getting uncomfortable, Jenny, knowing you are, then have your PhD in Google <laughs> and, and you're about to walk in and tell this medical doctor who looks over his, his or her half glasses and says, darling, I have done the right. research. So how did that conversation go? So one of the things that was tipped off to me before I ever had that appointment was, you know, you can humbly ask questions and humbly ask their opinion and perspective. But number one, it is just an opinion. It is just a perspective. That's right. And it doesn't mean that I don't take their advice and it doesn't mean that I don't take into consideration their educated opinion and their experience. Uh, but I also know that I'm the only person that is going to live with anything that happens to my body. So I need to be able to be completely confident and comfortable in the choices of what treatment I'm deciding on. And if there's going to be long-term complications, so one of the medications, really the only medication for my particular case, some of the side effects are strokes and wow. other types of cancer. And you do know that I mean, I, I, do you remember when uh, Robin Roberts on ABC, Good Morning America? Yes. The first cancer she had might have been breast cancer. It was, I believe. And she took the medicine and one of the, she said, now I have either AML or ALL. There's like a, I think it was yes. a leukemia. I and she right. said it is from the um, chemotherapy that yes. she had taken. And I remember thinking then, 
don't know if I, w- I would want to juggle two cancers in a lifetime. Mm-hmm. She's done beautifully. Yes. She's had, I remember the bone marrow transplant from her sister, but those are some heavy discussions you have to have with yourself in the mirror. Yes. And your spouse and your family. And with the and your, breast cancer being a hormone-based yeah. cancer and whatnot, uh, with my particular pathology, that same drug, essentially, this is not the scientific terminology for it, but essentially there's, you know, the premenopausal and the postmenopausal women dealing with breast cancer. So that also is different subtypes or subgroups, I should I say. And I'm premenopausal. So that medication would also have essentially put me in forced menopause in my Ugh. 30s. Oh. So that specialist in the original cluster mapping said, and when you leave here today, you and your husband need to talk about your fertility and family planning because you, mm. if you want to harvest your eggs, you will need to do that before you start this medication. Wow. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas <laughs> and also Happy New Year and uh, hope oh. you know what you want to do with your the rest of your life as a household. <laughs> now, you never have said, were you stage one? What stage were, was this cancer? Technically, I was stage two, but it was also large enough that it could have almost been, they could have called it stage three. Wow. But there's no lymph nodes involved. And so that's part of how the staging uh, increases is are there lymph nodes involved? How large is it? And stage four is when it has metastasized or spread right. and it's in other parts of the yeah. body. Organs, especially. Yeah. Um, how how did you have it removed? No. So cryoablation oh. is the procedure that I did 20 months into my journey. And cryoablation is where they freeze the, the tumor cold therapy. Okay. using liquid nitrogen. Right. And they insert a probe into the tumor and they literally freeze the tumor from the inside out and they go through cycles of freezing and thawing and freezing and thawing and freezing and thawing. And it is that trauma to those cancer cells that create uh, such a issue with the cancer cells that they die off. They get mad and leave. Yes, they can't handle it. So you have not, so it is breast cancer that you have. Yes. But it sounds like if we're jumping 20 months ahead and you're, is that an alternative treatment or is that a traditional treatment? Well, that is a good question of how it would be considered because it is not technically standard of care yet in the sense that it is not technically FDA approved in America because it hasn't passed through all of the trials yet. It is in trials for breast cancer and my cryoablation, it is a surgeon that did it, um, but it wasn't a, like, I didn't go under general anesthesia. Uh, It's localized. I mean, again, I'm talking about my case. There are other people that could have it and they might need to go under for other reasons with how the procedure works. But my particular surgeon is one of the leading trial doctors on it, but the trials I did not qualify for because my tumor was uh, double the size of the trial and various other reasons I didn't meet the qualifications based on my pathology. Anyway, so they uh, he agreed to do the procedure on me, what is called off protocol. And because it's not FDA approved, because it's off protocol, Yada, yada, yada. It is not covered by insurance. Mm-hmm. So everything about this was completely out of pocket for us. Your Instagram account is at shrink the mutant. 
So if you want to follow more of her travails, but I'm kind of doing some deductive reasoning because it's what I do. Um, (laughs) It doesn't sound like you had chemotherapy and radiation if you're hopping on one leg, licking snake oil. 20 months, which I mean, so much snake oil, Lisa (laughs) Fisher, so much snake oil. Okay. Uh, So again, I think this is a misunderstanding in the generalized paradigm of our Western world of what we think cancer patients are going to go through or look like in my particular case, although I was very ready to reject a chemotherapy as a recommendation and very ready to reject radiation as a therapy. Uh, They said with my particular pathology, chemo would not work. So I never hear that. You must have had really open-minded doctors because everybody here goes to the cattle call of lining up for chemo and radiation. So there's different scoring along the pathology and the way that my scores came out, my cancer cells, although, I mean, it's so obvious, like I have a big hard mass. Okay. That's, there's no other way to put it. I mean, it's obviously cancer. Now I can say that, uh, the score on the, what it looks like under a microscope between what my normal cells are and what my cancer cells are, it was just not differentiated enough for them to feel like, that plus how slow or aggressive it is, it was too slow growing. So there, my cells weren't rapidly dividing enough for chemo to be effective enough. It would have taken out my body before it took out the cancer. Because I know you physically, there's not much to you. I mean, right. So that's another thing that they did is like literally the oncologist pushed against my chest and like, if I can say, so to speak, clicked my bones and said, yeah, and we're not going to do radiation on you. We would burn through you. Yeah, right. I mean, you, she probably pushed to your back and it came out the other side. <laughs> I mean, there's you, you don't weigh much, sister. Um, which it, my husband has said, and we've said in our family, that if mama here gets it, I'm going to be good. I, I got a little <laughs> padding there. Um, well, so I like literally in those moments, I... Uh, like a touchdown when the referee puts his hands up, I did a, a touchdown with my hands and said, well, hallelujah. And I said that out loud in the doctor's office when they said, we're not going to recommend radiation or chemo for you. Because in that moment, I knew that that was not an energetic, emotional battle that I was going to have to fight in that moment of me talking to the doctor and saying no. And then, you know, the, the thing about cancer treatment, you know, I mean, yes. I'm whispering, even though thousands of people obviously can download this is that I, my, I've had two mothers-in-law because my husband's mother died, not of cancer, but the treatment. Mm-hmm. She went in for the radiation because it spread to her brain. One treatment gone. Now the cancer mm-hmm. didn't kill her. Mm-hmm. It was the one treatment. Then my father-in-law marries another woman and guess what? She mm-hmm. gets cancer. And hers was the type B lymphoma, very treatable, mm-hmm. but the base of the skull, same thing, difficulty getting it. And the same cancer doctor here, bless his heart, treated both of mm-hmm. Mr. Fisher's wives. And she too didn't die of cancer, but of the treatment. Mm-hmm. So there is just such great weight. And like, I know Dr. Mendelson here, cancer doctor says, we bring you to, to the brink of death. Mm-hmm. I have heard you know, that from other... Uh, doctors as well. And hoping that they can rejuvenate 
your right. body and your cells, and not all bodies respond. And I do want to say, Jenny, both of us are saying here, this is a very individual discussion. Absolutely. Like we said, with the person in the mirror, the Lord, whoever you follow or whatever is important to your life and a spouse or family member, whatever. And for some families, it works out fine. They have the treatment and every, I mean, everything is unicorns and strawberry cake. But for other people, they just have to decide what's best for them. So I just kind of want to say there's no judgment anytime someone discusses what they're doing either way but I do love hearing these stories because yours I'm is still victorious. alive <laughs> yes you're still alive well so that since yours your cryoblation is a treatment that took many many steps do they have to go in and do they go back up to a biopsy to see if you're stage back to stage one or if you are cancer free so what happens with cryoablation is that It is a procedure to do that freezing and thawing, and they leave the tumor in place. Some doctors also inject immunotherapy during the procedure directly into the tumor. And I'm going to use the language that they use, and they call it like a vaccine, that it is teaching your body, hey, there's cancer right here. And if there's other of these type of cancer cells in your body, it's going to start to go after them as well. And so there is a train of thought with certain surgeons that they are doing that immunotherapy injection during the cryoablation. Uh, All that to say, so they leave the spot in place. And then the point really is that your body reabsorbs it over time. Now with holistic healing, things take time. You know, very much in America, we have a very westernized paradigm of medical care. It's it's like an acute care mind, right? Like we think like, I don't feel well. I take these pills maybe for a week and then I don't feel this sore throat anymore. Well, with holistic care, it is a long-term ground game. It is a marathon, not a sprint. And in cancer, I didn't get cancer overnight. It was... It took years. How to many even... years do do you think or do they think? So with the size that it was, with what the various literature said, I did the math and I've asked some of my doctors about this and very well, it could have been growing at the point I was diagnosed. It could have been growing for probably about eight years, six wow. to eight years. Yeah. Um, wow. Because by the time it gets to a palpable size, uh, unless it's a com- really super aggressive type, and I'm talking about solid tumor type, obviously, uh, it it takes time for all of those mechanisms to happen for your body to allow that mass to grow. And that for those so cells nice to replicate. Your body, right. You're like, thanks. Um, right. <laughs> do you, what, since I can hear the type of treatment you've chosen, you're not probably then chasing all the radiation to have the MRIs, to have the mammograms, just because of the risk? So twofold, again, I am, I guess I'm a unicorn. Uh, I mean, <laughs> not are. really. Everybody has an individualized case. And like you said before, no judgment from me either. I have really great friends because of my cancer journey that are fellow, I like to call them my cancer pals. And we sit and we have our IVs together and talk cancer shop together. and they've gone through chemo and they've gone through surgeries and they've gone through radiation. So I don't have any judgment either on how people choose to deal with their personal cases. 
uh, I do, I have found that the more people find out and the more people know about the other things that are available, they start to use more and more of those additional modalities. And that includes like, okay, so you're saying other things other than mammogram. Uh, because I was not 40 yet, it's not like I had had a baseline mammogram. So that wasn't even necessarily the first line of defense that that specialist sent me to. So I had the biopsy and then she said, and we're going to get you scheduled for an MRI. So at that point in my journey, I didn't know any better. Okay. MRI does not give you radiation, but for breast MRI, they have to give you an IV that has gadolinium in it, which is the contrast agent. And gadolinium, gadolinium is a heavy metal and there is gadolinium. It's a really hard word to say, obviously. Uh, gadolinium <laughs> is a heavy metal that can cause heavy metal toxicity in your body. And some people have uh, hard problems with that. Right. Anywho, uh, I felt like I needed the information of what the MRI, MRI was going to show. And so at this point in my life, I have not regretted my choices that that is my scan, you know, basically at this point, I don't do mammograms. They don't, uh, again, because of where my tumor is and da, 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 my particular anatomy, they don't recommend mammograms for me. Um, there is a thing, and I'm pretty sure you're familiar with this called a thermogram. Ding, ding, ding. And yes. I've had, that's no, what I have no is a thermogram. Yeah. Yes. I shouldn't say no one. Uh, there's not a lot of standard of care doctors that are going to immediately say, oh, yes, go get a thermogram. They're always going to go to the, you know, traditional radiological devices and scans, first and foremost, for no fault of their own. It's what they know and what they're trained on, all that type of thing. Uh, but a thermogram is reading the heat off of your body and cancer is hot. <laughs> cancer creates heat. And so, uh, it is a, what would it be called? A no contact. So there's no contact between your body and the imaging device. It is basically an infrared heat camera. Uh, it's, it's dialed in for human bodies and to look for cancer. That's how I'm going to say it. Yeah. I am not a thermogram specialist. Uh, that's not what I do for my job. So, so you, uh, ha, do you do have thermography now? Yes. Okay. And that, that's what I, I had one after I was diagnosed and before cryoablation so that that could be kind of like a baseline for me mm -hmm. for my future as well. And I have had, I'm, I want to be careful about how I say this. So <laughs> uh, when you are sitting at a clinic every week of your life for multiple days, every week for multiple years, you kind of get to be friends with the staff. <laughs> and so I have the opportunity sometimes to go into the thermography room and we just turn on the camera and we see if there anything, if anything looks different. And then we can decide in that moment if we want to like, okay, let's really do this and pay for this and send this on versus it, it looks very similar to what it should look like type of deal. Well, but there is kind of the next step with thermography because I, one of my reports had a hot spot and it could be sometimes an underwire bra or the deodorant mm -hmm. you wore or whatever it was. And so I did 
Now, I had an arm wrestle to do it, Jenny. I did have ultrasound because I did mm-hmm. not want a mammogram. And in the ultrasound, the radiologist even said, you have very dense breast tissue. Mm-hmm. You are not really the perfect candidate for a mammogram. But he said in the same sentence, but I must recommend it to you. I said, mm-hmm. but you just said it doesn't work well with me. Mm-hmm. And I know it's just the legalese and lawyers yes. and everyone else that's, you know, th- these people can't work like they used to when your grandmother got diagnosed or even before that. Right. So did you go further and then have the ultrasound after a thermogram? No, because I was already diagnosed at that point. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. They already know. Um, but I have asked for an ultrasound to be one of the parts of my next follow-up. And <laughs> I'm sorry that I'm giggling again. It's, it's just such an interesting thing of how much we have to advocate for ourselves. Uh, the doctor's orders have been put in for the ultrasound and that imaging center has yet to call me and schedule it. And let's just say it's been more than a few weeks. Type yeah. deal. Uh, so. If that is something I want to do, I know that I'm going to have to be the one that is making the phone calls to coordinate making it happen. Yes, because honestly, when I went through those steps, I had to argue with three people along the way before I even got to the physician about why I had to defend my belief system, my choice of not having the mammogram, not having the mammogram. Unless they saw a need and nobody right. saw a need. But I'm just telling you, you do have to advocate for yourself. Okay, let's switch gears. So, is okay, is there anything else I'm missing in the three years since your diagnosis? Are, are you, since you didn't go the traditional route, and we don't know, maybe you don't know everything about, because the tumor, the way it shrunk, will you, are you saying you will have to have some type of treatment forever? So the main big, like when people think about treatment, I I think people think like, what are things done to you? I do all kinds of lifestyle things. Uh, The way that I eat, the things that I choose to nourish my body with are very intentional in every single meal. Um, I also, I think you'll appreciate this knowing you, I'm technically doing a medical fast right now. Oh, are you really? It's a, yes, a water fast. Yeah. So if anyone is interested in that information, uh, Walter, like sounds like Walter, but it's spelled with a V, Walter Longo, L-O-N-G-O. Uh, he is like one of the world-renowned right. researchers in fasting, and he has studies on cancer patients that have done the fasting as he lines it out. Yes. And so, I mean, you know about what? fasting and I think you've had, you have somebody yeah, the very we're talking to yeah, about The it. very first guest I had uh, when I launched the podcast is who I call the mother of intermittent fasting, Jen Stevens. And she is, um, she has her doctorate, her. Oh, nice. But it's in, it's an education doctorate. So, but mm-hmm. she has done some research, but she does defer everything to a medical doctor who has done the research and part of that research includes that um, there are some physicians now that someone walks in and says, I have cancer on a Monday. He says, hey, go home and fast till Friday. Let's measure things again. Yes. And the 
honestly, the load in the body decreases just even after four days. And he tells them that, and that is medically supervised. So yes. And I have, I have talked with my doctor before doing this one also and said, is there anything I need to change or do, or, you know, like basically like, do you approve of me doing this? So I'm doing it for a minimum of three days. It's probably honestly only going to be three days because of what my week is next week. But uh, there's kind of a the magic thing that happens at three days that doesn't necessarily happen at one day. But right. One day is still better than nothing. Right. That's right. And I think that's part of the research is 72 hours. Um, and so in this prescription that a doctor, and I use air quotes, a doctor might tell right. a patient, it's also for the person who comes in and is morbidly obese, has signs of dementia or type two diabetes, just the glucose load because we know what fasting does to your insulin and your glucose and it burns the glycogen stores in your liver. And once you kind of burn through those, then you're burning fat for fuel and you're not feeding a cancer with fat for fuel. So I may have right. oversimplified it, but that's just meaning that you, cause you're not doing it for weight, you know, you're, no, not at all. You're, you're doing it to bring your cancer markers down and which is very admirable. So not even, I have not done any more research than what I'm, the bare minimum I know. So you don't even do bone broth during one of these fasts, right? I can do veggie broth, veggie broth. because okay. my cancer was, in my case, 100% estrogen receptor positive, 100% progesterone receptor positive. Wow. And the the numbers go from zero to 100%. So like there's friends next to me that could have 10% estrogen receptor positivity and 40% progesterone. So like <laughs> that's one of the things that the specialist said okay. was, your cancer is an overachiever. It's a 100, 100. Of course. So I am very diligent about staying away from animal protein that I don't know its quality. Um, I basically am vegan. I'm gluten-free vegan. And that is for multiple purposes around my cancer. But one of the big things in my case is because I'm staying away from the added hormones and especially synthetic hormones uh, that are put into so many of our bovine foods and, and industrialized right. meat. So yes. no and dairy. Antibiotics yeah. and things. Yeah. So you wouldn't do dairy. You would do correct. But you do coconut milk or almond milk. Yes, we make our own um nut milk essentially. I tried that once. I'm telling you, girl, I could still be blending right now. And I those little almonds still wouldn't have milked for I me. have the perfect tool for you. So it's called uh it's called an almond cow. I am not technically a sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> or I'm not sponsored by them, uh, but it's an almond cow. And I do have a discount link. I do not get paid by them, but I have a discount link that you could get, you know, a discount off of it. Uh, so you can go to my sh at strength, the mutant on Instagram, and you can message me there and I'll send you the link and stuff. Uh, but the almond cow does everything for you. Like you put the ingredients in and it mixes it for you. There is no straining necessary and there is not any nut chunks in your liquid afterwards well it just took and it literally takes like two minutes and that's it okay well it did not i have the bougie blender and everything and i i whirled and whirled one day and i mm -hmm. thought i was gonna burn the motor out so that's that's great but the point is you still have things that are beverages that taste like cow's milk or similar yes like, i don't hate anything that i eat or drink oh that's great that's great. and i i and again you will probably understand this based on your lifestyle choices that sure that very first week or month that I was making lifestyle changes 
where I was, I mean, cold turkey, like cold turkey, I had to stop the birth control pill. And cold turkey, I was like, oh, we're doing this. Like we are not, we being me, uh, we are not eating meat anymore. And, you know, in those first few weeks, things don't taste as good as they do to me now because I was coming off of the everything has the chemical processed, like engineers design the chemicals in our processed food to make the receptors in my brain go, yes, 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 yes. I want more of this. Uh You know, and so with the whole foods, not the brand, but the actual foods that we should eat from the earth, right? (laughs) um, you know, those actually really taste really great. Do you do you eat out anymore? We are very particular with where we eat out. And, um, you know, honestly, there are times that it's really stressful, but I have learned to deal with all that. And I, again, it's another space where I have to advocate for myself and I, I don't do that mean to anyone. I very politely, I have made a business card and it says like, I due to my cancer, Mm -hmm. (laughs) because sometimes I just have to pull the cancer card literally. Uh, so due to my cancer, I need to stay away from these types of ingredients, gluten, (laughs) you know, animal protein, Mm -hmm. whatever the things are. For me in restaurants, soy isn't necessarily a safe option because it's probably not organic. Right. So I just, on my card, I say gluten-free, vegan, no soy, no added sugar. And then I know, but I didn't put this on the card. There are certain types of um, foods that I just need to say no to at this season of my life because of their estrogenic properties, because of my particular pathology. That's not to say that all breast cancer people should do that. I'm just talking about my particular case. Well, soy is a phytoestrogen anyway, yes. so you wouldn't wouldn't well, want it. Well, there's a- different there's different debates on that, and more and more, I think that. Um, the academic world and cancer specialists, even in the naturopathic world, are saying that soy, even as that phytoestrogen, is okay because it's not acting in the same way that my estrogen that would attach to those estrogen okay. receptors would, that it potentially blocks that from happening. Um, but honestly, with our farming and whatnot, it's just not something that I have messed with because of my again particular case and how my doctors were originally walking with me through what I should and shouldn't do type deal. How are you keeping your weight up because you are very small framed? And I dropped a ton of yeah, weight at the beginning and uh looked I mean like even when I look at pictures now from 2018 it's, it's it's even shocking to me. And I was looking in the mirror every day. Uh, and we all knew that everybody knew that there wasn't any doctor, including my traditional oncologist. There was no doctor that was ever like, okay, girl, enough of what you're doing. We Mm -hmm. need, we need you to eat ice cream. You know, Mm -hmm. uh, it's just a part of like, I wasn't eating toxic things anymore. I wasn't eating, I wasn't eating sugar at all anymore. You know, um, I was juicing a lot, and you mentioned coffee enemas before. Yeah. It's not something that I talk about a lot, mm-hmm. but I did do those. And the point of coffee enemas for cancer people is not to, quote unquote, be an en- enema and clean yourself out. That's not the point. The point is what it does to certain liver enzymes and it um, it ups your glutathione and 
those that's the master antioxidant in the body. Oh, it's and magical. It's, yeah. Yeah. And so overall, it's helping your system really heal the cancer. That's the main point for a cancer patient. It's not to clean you out. Uh, so doing all that type of stuff, infrared saunas, I was doing infrared saunas. And the difference between an infrared sauna and a like water steam sauna is that infrared does not have water involved at all. It is It heats you up at a cellular level. So there's cellular detoxing. Wow. And that's really good for cancer patients. Where do you find those? Well, my clinic had one, my uh, integrative clinic had one. So at the beginning, I was just making the appointment along with my high dose vitamin C. I would also go next door and get a sauna on those same days. And then we did the math <laughs> and figured out not only like commuting gas time, but how many times a week I was supposed to be doing it and how much that was costing that in the long run, it would be more cost effective for us to, to buy, buy one. one. Yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. So there's different companies across the United States that have them. And there are a few that are very particular about being the least toxic and the least EMFs possible oh. so that you're not adding a toxic load to your load that you're trying to detox. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, yeah, so we have one now. And I know that that is a privilege. I did have... Um, some gifts with that that helped us pay for that. But that was one of those things in our life that we prioritized. You know what? You never have to apologize for the choices you make for good health. Thank we, you. We have turned so defensive now. I, I know when I posted my experience with COVID and I was attacked, Jenny, in ways that I, I can't mm -hmm. even explain to you. And I thought, why am I apologizing? Because they said it, I was, it was a case of privilege that we didn't die from COVID. We really, I just had a really bad headache. My husband had mm. it a day and a half, but mm -hmm. I said, we made lifestyle, <laughs> we've made lifestyle choices for years. So right. we, we were really, we had trained for this moment, you know, yes. life, and lifetime non-smokers, like really don't even drink, um, low sugar, low glue, you know, all the things. So but I remember defending myself and my husband like slapped my hand. He didn't. This is a figurative, you know, but <laughs> said, stop it. We we have to stop defending ourselves on the choices we feel like is best. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if it costs a million dollars. It's nobody's business. Well, and my overall point really is more of like, it's a priority. So I prioritized putting resources into that bucket. And that also meant clearing out a space in our house to make room for it. You know, like yeah. there's all kinds of things. I prioritize getting my high dose vitamin C and I prioritize having organic food. Well, you, you've been in, when I knew you, you were in youth ministry at a church. If you're still doing something like that, you are probably not you know, wondering where your house in the Upper West Side, how it's doing during COVID, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you are hardworking people and you do you. You have my Thank permission. You. You Thank my you permission. very much. Okay. Thank we've you. got to kind of wrap things up here. Yes. So um, I, I, we're going to direct people to your Instagram account. Um, yes. And let me say real fast to shrink yeah. the mutant. What in the world does that mean? Okay. So cancer is our own mutated cells. And the doctor originally said, we want to shrink this, you know, and it's kind of like, that's one of the first steps is like, we'll shrink this. And then, so kind of immediately I was like, oh, I have a mutant. In me. <laughs> so we just call it shrink the mutant. And, 
So that's my Instagram, you know, all one word, Shrink the Mutant. And then also I have a website called Shrink the Mutant School where I am offering resources for friends or coworkers or loved ones of people that have cancer that want to get more tools on how to talk to your loved one that might have cancer and like what are some ideas on what you can do to truly be supportive to your friend during their health crisis. So many, I mean, so many, so many messages I have gotten over the past few years have been those questions. And I finally realized like I'm sending out the same information in all of these messages. Why don't I just put this together in a package for people that anyone can have? So uh, Shrink the Mutant School has information about what not to say to someone with cancer. And there will be a how to help your friend with cancer guide also. And it's not ready yet, but I'm also going to do something for cancer patients. It will not have medical advice, but it's going to talk about, okay, if you're recently diagnosed, how do you advocate for yourself? What types of things should you be asking for? What type of records should you be keeping and asking for? Uh, what do you need to do in your household overall so that you can like kickstart your cancer, kickstart your confidence after that diagnosis type of thing? So I'm really excited about that. That that I think is really needed. Um, as I talk to my fellow cancer pals, of like so many people say. I wish I, I mean, I had a call literally this morning, uh, one of my cancer pals called me and we were talking about her MRI and I was like, oh yeah, and just, you know, ask for your MRI images and they'll just give them to you on a disc. You can ask when you go in to get your scan. And she said, oh my gosh, I wish I would have known that yep. two days ago. Yep. I would have asked then. People are intimidated by um, medical speak and medical yes. buildings and you need to get over that so you can help shrink your mutant whatever that is yes um this will all be in the show notes jenny you're fabulous i've loved you thank since you. the first time i met you you just you. um are cheerful and um inquisitive and a little snarky <laughs> well and i think you know my whole hope with like saying yes to being interviewed by you was that people would walk away also and go Oh, you can actually thrive with cancer. Yeah. I have been living with cancer yeah. for basically three years and I have had scans and I have had imaging and whatnot, and it has not grown to other places in my body. There's so much that we can do on our own to help our bodies heal and God designed our bodies to heal. So we can do it. Praise <laughs> God. That's right. Mm -hmm. Okay. Love you, mean it. You're adorable. Thank you. Thank let's you. Let's keep in touch. Yes, please. Thank you. Let's talk home building just a moment and home remodeling. Have you been daydreaming about that perfect master suite or maybe adding on a room to your home? I got a guy. It's Richard Harp with Richard Harp Homes. You can go to his website right now. You can start looking at the beautiful things he's done throughout central Arkansas and you and Richard can develop a plan, a plan that keeps you within budget, ding, 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 and also keeps you within time. Now, of course, there are things that happen that are outside of Richard's control, but I'm telling you, the folks who work with Richard Harp, whether it's a tiny remodel or an entire project, walk away from there and say those two 
two things. So Richard did everything he could financially to keep me within budget or under budget. And he did everything he could to keep the time from getting away from you. If you've ever built or remodeled, you know what I'm talking about. For more information, go to my website, lisafishersaid.com. Click on the banner ad for Richard Harp Homes. Thanks for spending this time with me. If you would subscribe to the Lisa Fisher Said podcast, tell a friend. And for show notes and more information, go to lisafishersaid.com. Mm-hmm.